ladies and gentlemen. We're gonna take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Welcome to Friday's edition of Hard in the Paint with David Grubb. Coming up in just a moment, we'll be talking with Ali Cosell, Editor-in-Chief of The Bird Rights, my colleague, my friend. Um, it's been a fantastic three weeks at this point, and I do want to thank everybody who's been listening. We've crossed uh, the 1,000 download mark in this short amount of time, um, and I don't compare myself to anybody else, but I just uh, it's just been incredible the transition from radio to the podcast and just how many of you have either come along for the ride or are new listeners, and I just appreciate that. Um, the biggest thing yesterday was the start of the NBA, the restart of the NBA season, and the kickoff of that was a great intro by Meek Mill, um, the rapper and criminal justice reform advocate, and it was really powerful. Um, and I also give a lot of credit to Nike, who does excellent with production in their commercial with Megan um, Rapino. Um, that's one of the most visually stunning uh, commercials I'd seen in a long time. But to me, the failure in all this was the game presentation, the start out of the national anthem and the players kneeling, et cetera, et cetera. At this point, and Howard Bryant, who I've had on the show and is I've said many times is one of my idols in this business, um, has said it better than I could when he said, now it's easy to kneel. Everybody can do it now, and there's no repercussions. Where were these people when the repercussions were there? And that's my feeling on this, that this has become a very sanitized uh, portion of protest. Um, once protest is accepted by corporate people, then it's not really protest. Um, so I'd like to see some more actual um, act actionable items by the NBA and by these other leagues, and we still have not heard or seen that yet. Um, this allowance of players kneeling, it wasn't even to me as powerful as the WNBA players walking off the court you know, for the New York Liberty um, and those players walking off the court uh, before their game. That to me was a much more powerful statement. It was one that could get you much more backlash. And I think that they've been braver in this circumstance, more brave in this circumstance than the NBA players. Um, this will continue. It's continued in games today. I am at the point, and if you know me and if you listen to me, you know how much I am serious about these issues, but I'm at the point where I don't want to see any more corporate management of protest. And I'll leave it at that. Let's get back to the basketball. And to do that, now I will welcome my friend, my colleague, my brother, Ali Koso. Ali, glad to have you back on the show. Thank you, David. Yeah, absolutely, man. You and I have such a good time talking in general, but man, when we get to basketball, we're unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good to be back. It's good to have substantive games to talk about. Yes. Um, <laughs> even with all the things that are swirling around, it, it, it felt good. It felt okay for the, the two games. to. I didn't feel bad doing it and watching it. Uh, as I thought I might be, um, I, I'll, I'll probably feel differently when football comes around. 
Um, but certainly in this environment, I think the NBA has done a great job to this point of protecting the players as best they can. So I'll just start with that part. Are you happy and, and the presentation of the games themselves and what you saw visually, how, 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 what were the, the pluses and what, what were the things that you didn't enjoy so much just from the presentation? Yeah, real quick. First thing, obviously, how can you not be in love with the fact they've had zero coronavirus tests uh, since they got into the bubble, essentially, right? Thousands of tests have come out negative. I know there was one false positive that Woj was talking about earlier today, but that's what it just ended up being, you know, a false positive to where the player had something come out positive, but then subsequently two negative tests. So there was never really a coronavirus case. So that's incredible considering, like I said, what they're trying to do here, and it's not a complete bubble. And it goes to show you what just a pre preventative measures will do for you, face masking, social distancing, wiping things down, right? If they can make that work and get these players who, as we know, you know, generally live in this world where they don't like to be told on what to do, then boy, why can't the rest of America get going? So I, I love it as, as basically as a good PSA for the rest of the country. And so... That, that's my best favorite takeaway. As far as the presentation, David, in these games, I'm just happy to watch the games. You know, I'm ecstatic to see that we've got some real uh, actual games to talk about. Not even just now, we went from practices and scrimmages to now, like I said, games that matter. And there's, nothing beats that in the NBA, right? You can talk all you want about off-season stuff, preseason stuff. But until you actually get to the actual games where these guys are going to go 110% and then the outcomes matter – you know, everything else is fluff to me. So I don't know if you're also asking me to talk about the arena, the setup, the, you know, the fans. Yeah, yeah just in that. I, you know, I, that stuff doesn't matter to me. I'm just such a basketball fan. I'm just happy just to see these guys play, right? I don't need any additional stuff to make it more entertaining for me. In fact, I feel like it's more of a hindrance usually because either people ask me about it or maybe it'll distract me. So, no, I like seeing these players have all this space out on the court. That's the first thing you know is they can run yes. through dunks. I'm not worried about somebody crashing a cameraman, you know, stuff like that. J.J. Redick, you know, saw him diving well out of bounds at a scrimmage game. That stuck out in my mind. I'm like, hey, that's kind of cool. These guys aren't killing themselves in the chair, may miss some games due to some injury, right? So I, I like it from that standpoint. But anything else, like I said, these special effects, eh. Talk to somebody else. Maybe that's for the casual fans, I guess, right? Yeah, I'm, I was not a big fan of the, the virtual fan thing. Because every team – like, first people wanted to take shots to Pelicans. Like, oh, why, why are their seats missing? Every for every team. team. That's ridiculous. That went up. I'm watching the game right now. Half of it's empty. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, what people have to realize is, A, there are internet problems. Because, you know, <laughs> right. there are people who tried to get in and couldn't. Um, and then, yeah, people probably took the spots and then were like, eh, I'd rather just watch because you're stuck. Like, that's the part of it is you're stuck on camera for this entire time of a game. It's different than being at a game because now people yeah. are watching you. There's, that is a huge difference than you watching the game in anonymity, basically, and having a camera in your, on your computer staring straight at you or your phone or whatever, and you are literally on as part of the program now. And I think that that's something that, to me, I wouldn't enjoy watching basketball that way. No way. Are you kidding me? No, give me at least a big screen TV instead of staring at my computer. 
<laughs> right. And I'm constantly aware though. You know what I'm saying? I'm constantly aware of myself in that right, situation. Sure. And how do I look on camera? Do I seem, am I looking weird? You know, do, uh, do well, I you get- felt great. You would be fantastic. So would Preston. <laughs> nah, not a chance. <laughs> now, now the problem for me is I'd be sitting by myself and then it would just be a lot of facial expressions. Mm. There would just be so many facial expressions that I think they would take me, either the camera would never leave me or I would stay completely away from me. <laughs> that's, that's what well, I think. You don't have to worry about it. You're not signing up, right? Oh, no, 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 no. I think you have to be a season ticket holder too, don't you? Yeah, that's right. With the Pelicans, I think that's how it works. Yeah, so we don't, we don't buy tickets. <laughs> you and I don't buy tickets. I'm not saying anything. I'm not. I'm not touching that one. <laughs> Just saying we're media. We don't buy. I know. Tickets. I know what you mean. Yeah. I'm not being mean. No, I know. Okay, so let's you need to laugh a little bit because yeah, let's get to the game. Yeah, let's that get was to the game. And it, it, it was. It's depressing in the sense of it's a loss, and it's depressing in the sense that there were unanswered questions. But let's just start with the basic nuts and bolts of it. It's one loss. It's by two points. It's to a team that they have been incredibly close to the entire season. So we know the matchups are basically what and what. It's it's not as dour as folks wanted to make it um, in the immediacy following the game. No, you're right. I mean, I know it's only eight games. Pelicans already have an uphill battle. But look, realistic hope of catching Memphis for any of the teams trailing the Grizzlies, you know, in the Western Conference race, we're slim to none. So that was never going to happen. The main thing is you want to just keep pace with the pack and, of course, get ahead of them by the end of the, uh, th- that eight-game stretch. So Pelicans did hurt themselves a little bit because Portland's playing right now. So it's almost an effect, right, David? If you're a Pelicans fan, you want to be cheering for the Grizzlies because if the Portland wins, then suddenly the Pels are two games behind, right, for right. the ninth seed. So I think that's the race you got to focus on. But again, as you mentioned, there's still plenty of games. These teams will be playing each other a lot. The chances of anybody going 8-0, even 7-1, really are kind of slim. So, no, one game's not going to kill them. My whole viewpoint, though, was it was a winnable game, right? You're trailing by 11. You go on this incredible, you know, tear through the game where you find the momentum, you find the flow. It's a 27-point turnaround to where you're up 16 right before halftime. And it seemed like the Pels never really got their footing after that, right? It was just, you know, it, it was depressing to watch, essentially, for myself. They, they made a lot of mistakes, too. It's not like they just missed shots, which they did, right? They shot terribly in the second half. Turnovers were up a little bit. There was a little bit more missed defensive rotations. But it's the fact that the dumb mistakes, right? You're, you're, you're on fast breaks. Two possessions in a row, they had fast break opportunities. They came up with zilch on both of them. Right, it was a two-on-one, then like a four-on-two. Each one more passing to a Jackson Hayes in the middle of the court when he's got defenders ahead of him. I'm screaming no at the TV. It's yep. just simple basketball, you know, lack of execution there for guys that have been playing basketball for how many years now, especially like somebody like Moore. So that's what troubled me, right? They threw away a very winnable game. And that, that's been their habit all season. So you kind of were hoping four months layoff, right? You're not going to expect leaps and bounds, but you're hoping that this team – may look a little differently, but no, it just reminds you of what you saw in the regular season, David. So I think from that standpoint, and of course we'll get to it, you know, design whole Williamson 15 minutes how I think, and I felt it threw off the team's rhythm that those both play key parts in why, you know, they're 0-1. Yeah, that's the mental mistakes, and we know this is literally the worst team in the NBA in close games. 
I mean, what yeah. it, was it 20 plus losses now? Um, that was when, a great stat by Lopes. Lopez. Yeah, Lopez. Andrew Lopez um, came brought up that stat um, of 20 plus games where the Pelicans have had the lead or within a possession late, and they've blown them. Yeah, lead or tied in the lead final minute, and they yeah. lost 20 of those. Come on. <laughs> and, but I'll say this: two years ago, when the Pelicans made the playoffs and they were the best team in the league in wins in crunch time. And we mm-hmm. talked about it then. I said, that's unsustainable. Mm-hmm. You cannot rely on coming through all the time in games that close because that's where mental mistakes, one or the other, can just change the whole story. They could have been – they could have lost 15 of those 30 games that they won in the final minute. I would say the same with this group, and it's that they, you can see literally the gears turning for this team. Um, whether Zion was on the floor or not, because again, Zion, the Pelicans were ten and nine with him on the floor. Let's not act like he was a, a pansy and covered all the mistakes there. So even in those situations, this is a team that clearly thinks late rather than plays late. No, David, don't you think though that they resemble a different team in those final minutes? Right? That's what I'm saying. They start thinking yeah. for 47 minutes. They'll be playing basketball. And then all of a sudden, they start thinking basketball. What are we supposed to be doing right here? There is no supposed to do at that point. The offense goes, devolves to really a lot of ISO. And defensively, yes. they fall apart. I mean, they're the worst defensive team in clutch minutes. They and don't it, trust it each other. Segment. Started the year where they were just generally bad to where they played really their best ball when Derek came back. But before uh, Zion came back, they still weren't very good in clutch minutes. But then he became awful again when Zion reappeared. So, yeah, you're right, David. They, they, they just look like such a different team. And you wonder why that is. Is it because even though B.I. has kind of, I feel like, emerged as a leader, because let's face it, he's getting most of the possessions to close out games. You're seeing Drew Holiday and Lonzo flip it to him to bring the ball up in those final couple of minutes. But yet he hasn't taken seized the reins, right? He hasn't had the success. I mean, I can only remember that Jazz game where he had a late-game shot. But other than that, there's not one other memory in my memory bank to where he's come through in closing minutes. So that's a problem, right? Nobody has grabbed the reins. And so it's like they're still searching. And so that just builds up more pressure. And for a 22-year-old, I mean, you know, I can't even imagine what that moment must feel like. But obviously, if you don't have any success, you're not going to be able to move forward. So I don't know what it's going to take. That's what people ask me all the time. How do you get better in those closing minutes, right? I just think they're going to eventually grow into it. What do you think? Yeah, that's that's my thing. I mean, you're talking about not a single – player on there on this team outside of JJ would probably have been a guy who took a final shot that you'd look to, to take a final shot in an NBA game before, you know, for three years in LA, Brandon Ingram was, there was no closing because they were losing all the time. (laughs) Right. Lonzo couldn't shoot. No. So, and then Josh Hart certainly wasn't the guy you went to at, at, for the final shot. You know, so, so Drew Holiday has never been that guy. He was just for that couple of years, right, that two years ago that you mentioned they were really good. Drew was excellent in, in clutch minutes that year for some reason. But, but that, for a lot of that was that he, he didn't handle the good. ball either, though. Remember, he wasn't handling the ball. Rondo was handling the ball in those minutes and getting him in a position to score during that run. So it wasn't, you know, like you said, if they're turning, giving the ball over to Ingram and saying initiate. They are. Now, isn't that and, weird? For a team right. that wants to move the ball, player movement, ball movement, and all of a sudden you're just flipping it to a non, non, not even a guard. I think right. that's just unusual. 
and, and and let's just talk about the last possession before we get into the whole part of the game. You have 6.9, which, again, in the NBA is a long time. That's more than a quarter of your shot clock. So that's a long time. The inbound was untouched. Nobody forced him. You know, there was no physical contact to make the catch difficult. He was able to casually dribble to the, to over to the right side. And then you see J.J. come up. And J.J.'s got the time and the release for the shot. And Brandon doesn't even look. It seemed like he had determined that as soon as he caught the ball, because it wasn't a hurried shot. It was not a rushed three. It was no, no, a no, no, no. measured. He took a good one because it was a good look. Yeah, it was not a bad look, but it was determined at that moment. Yeah. I'm, he, he, he knew as soon as he caught the ball, he was going to take that shot. But if that's Drew or if that's Lonzo with the ball, I guarantee you that ball's getting to JJ, who I felt like he had the space. He I think did. Was Derek Favors that had kind of screened his man, too. So he had the space. Would have been an open look, I think. And that's at the very least, JJ, yeah. if on that turn, because the closeout was hard, was going to be hard, mm-hmm. there could have been a foul in that situation, too. Or a fake, and he so got up in lane. Yes. Remember, he won that game against the Kings with that move. Yes. So, and we saw him do it last night, too. Yes. There were a couple of great ball fakes by J.J. to get himself a shot. Oh, he's such a savvy player. He just doesn't get the credit for that. And, what about and, the charge he took? Man, he is so big for this team. It's, it's, it's amazing to me some people bemoan him and his minutes this year. Where would they be without him? <laughs> yeah, and they forget J.J. was hurt, too. Yes. And, and so um, I just thought that the last possession, I don't think that's how it was drawn up. Do you? Do you? And we've had that situation with the Pelicans this year where both players and coaches have said, we have not, you know, I wrote this up and it didn't happen that way. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. We've talked to the coaching staff, Alvin's long enough over the years to where we kind of know what the final play is. And then when we talk to the, uh, the, uh, the assistant coaches, they tell us basically that what was drawn up wasn't executed. You know, I remember in years past, they pointed out some Rondo did once, Drew Holiday another time where it honestly devolves into too much ISO or settling for an outside shot. And that's, like I said, that's not the primary option that is drawn up by the coaching staff. <sighs> I, I just – this team makes – the frustrating thing about them is, is like you said, you get, you get the second and the third quarter, which were great displays of basketball for them for the most part. And then – and the bench played solidly. The bench was spectacular until the fourth quarter, David. They really were. They saved – the Pelicans were bleeding so much in that third quarter to where I'm, they're going to lose the lead for sure in this frame. But they recovered to where they put the lead back to 10 points. I think it had strength all the way down to what, round three? Uh-huh. You taught all that momentum, but then J.J. came in. Each one did his thing, and they built it back up. So I feel like the bench didn't get enough credit. And I honestly was surprised. Let me ask you. But I was surprised Alvin didn't go a little bit deeper. All we've heard through the training camp, the scrimmages of not only we've seen how these uh, lesser guys have played in, in the rotation, like right. the Frank, but the fact that also they've been talked up to where they're probably going to get minutes, where they've remarked, we have great depth, we can go to it. Yep. Alvin didn't go to it. Frank got three, four minutes of basically you know, garbage time. He wasn't really utilized. No. He just went to a 10-man lineup. And really, you could say it was even less than that because Melly was barely registered, I feel like, as a part of the game, right? He, he took one shot in 14 minutes. He's been lighting it up in scrimmages. His three-point shot is such a weapon for this team. 
and he didn't even shoot the ball but once. So, yeah, I had a problem with, with how the depth was utilized considering how well they had been playing. What do you think about that? I was surprised, too. I thought that since they were talking about, well, game one, we're going to, you know, you may not see rotations that you've seen and all these things. And, um, yeah, I was surprised they did not go deeper, especially when the lead started to get smaller. Um, I was surprised that they didn't even give just at least throw um, Okafor out there just to see if, uh, uh, look, can you stop something in the middle? Can we get somebody to stop something in the middle? Or get a rebound. <laughs> yeah, because Jackson Hayes wasn't doing it. Jackson was active. I will give him credit for that. Mm-hmm. But again, he I did. I saw boxing out and stuff, but he wasn't at leaving moments, defensively. At there moments. There was no weak side help by him, right? No, and he retreated defensively in the lane. We mm-hmm. saw that. People driving the lane and him taking two or three steps backwards and allowing people to shoot floaters above him because he's thinking, well, I can jump for it. And you and I both know defensively in the post sometimes, the best thing you can do is just raise your hand straight up. Hold your position and just raise your hand straight up. You are, he's got a seven-foot, four-inch wingspan. So, I mean, something like that. So stand straight up, hold your ground. That's all he had to do. And, and even on the charge that you talk about that J.J. took, if JJ's there, not not there to take that charge, just a foul on Jax, because he's come swinging across. And that's the thing too is all of his block attempts are swipes, and mm-hmm. that's how he gets himself in so much foul trouble. Because I think it's impossible to have a consistent gauge on the ball when you're coming to hit it as hard as possible. That is not the goal of shot blocking. The goal of shot blocking is to deter the shot. There are times when you have to hit it out of bounds, but he's trying to hit everything like it's a volleyball. Yeah. Yeah, when Gobert was not out there, I thought he Alvin should have gone smaller. And the main reason for this is the Pelicans' pace was awful. It was awful. A joke. It's not their game. If they're not pushing the pace, they're, they're already putting themselves behind the eight ball, especially against a team like Utah who wants you to draw out every possession, keep their guys preserved as much as possible, and that's what happened. All their starters end up playing well over 30 minutes a game. I think if the Pels push the pace, that doesn't happen. I think the fourth quarter becomes a different story. Even if they don't shoot as well, even if the young guys make mistakes, I think by not going to more energy guys off the bench, like Nikhil, like Frank, you lost a great opportunity to somehow bump up the pace. I, I just hated it, David. I, I just really thought every single possession was just being walked up the court. Yes. We've seen Alvin get just downright upset when that's happened in games, which has resulted in losses. So I don't personally understand, but that's why I wanted them to go deeper was for yeah. that loan. Try and change it up somehow. Because that, that's what we felt was their advantage was that you could come and do, do hockey sub type level things and just try to keep the pace up, up, up. Because yes. again, the Jazz, if not for Jordan Clarkson, they have nothing from the bench. I don't think anybody else scored last night from their bench. I think maybe you had like one or two other points. From their bench. Exactly. But it was it was Jordan Clarkson or nothing. And so you run those five into the ground. You make them cover ground constantly. You push. You were turning it over anyway. And I, it's a 20 turnovers. Over. That's why I hate that argument. Oh, we had too many tur- turnovers. The Jazz had 20 themselves. Right. So don't give me that argument. Don't just base it all around that for the loss. Right? No, no. I'm just saying if you're turning it well, over. No, I'm not saying you. Alvin, you know, that, that's all. I, I just wanted more depth to that answer. Do, do it with pace. And, and that's the thing is the, yeah. the tur- that's what they didn't do. They were never – there was never pressure on the Jazz. 
And I think that that no. when you Mike have a, old, Joe Ingles can't run, Rudy no. can't run, and Mike they Conley really can't run right now either. He's no, that's not, what I said. Yeah, he, he can't move as well. He's not going to be chasing Drew or Lonzo, whoever. And I, I just didn't understand that they didn't make them work enough defensively, and they didn't make no. them shift enough defensively. And you go sixty forty four. You got to that's where you put you know just drive the dagger home. Put in a bunch of young guys, give them the minutes because you have the cushion, and that's what we saw in the scrimmages, right? Pelicans would have kind of a 10-point lead. He'd bring in those guys off the bench. And guess what? They extended the lead, I think, in every single game. Particularly against – and particularly against the Milwaukee Bucks. Yes. And the yep. key of that game was not – yes, they outscored them from three. They had better, you know, better shooting mm-hmm. numbers overall. But the key was that the ball never stopped moving against yep. a team that you know takes away the middle. That, that's what you know they do. And, again, and then on the other end – you stopped Milwaukee from getting to their jump shots. Well, the Jazz never had to resort to jump shooting. The thing with Donovan Mitchell to me, you always want him to be a shooter rather than a scorer. And they let Donovan Mitchell be a scorer. And he didn't have to – he got his 20 – he didn't have to take 25, 30 shots to do it. That's what I want when I'm playing Donovan Mitchell. I want to make him take a ton of shots. They didn't really do that. So everybody who scored last night for Utah, the, the, the balance of their shooting attempts – was very even across the six guys who, who carried that offense. You saw just a consistent number of you got shots, you got shots, you got shots, you got shots. And with the Pelicans, the balance of shots was just it, – it, it was off. You can't have Lonzo go two for 13 and nine of those shots be inside the arc. And then on the other hand, you got Ingram go two for eight from three and not attack the rim. And they didn't get to the free throw line consistently as a team either – no one got to the line outside of Ingram, but I think Ingram was seven of eight from the line. Nobody else got to the line more than twice. I've, I've harped on it all season, especially when they start playing better. This team has to score 120 points a night to give themselves a really good chance to win. But they're capable of that. They have so many weapons, right? They averaged 120 since Zion's been in the lineup. So getting 104, no, that's not going to cut it. You give the Jazz every single um, chance to do what they want to do. And like you said, not force, like, say, Mitchell to take 25 shots to somehow make up those points, right? Because they don't have that firepower. So, yeah, they miss a golden opportunity, David. you got to push the pace, just put up the points, make the Jazz keep up with you. And, you know, that's, like I said, it's the biggest pain. It's a winnable game they threw out. And you got to think, they got to get one of these first two, right? Everybody's been talking about it. It's the two toughest teams on paper because they're both the only true playoff caliber opponents. Pelicans have on their schedule. They're fortunate in that respect, but you can't start off 0-2, and now suddenly it's a must-win kind of game against the Clippers. Who also lost their first game uh, playing against the Lakers last night, a two-point loss for the Clippers. Before we get into Pelicans versus Clippers, what did you see in that game between the Lakers and the Clippers that – Really, I mean, again, it's two teams, just like in the first game with the Pelicans and Jazz, two teams kicking off the dust and trying to get back into a routine. LeBron James didn't look great from what I – you know, from just watching offensively, he was not great. Defensively, he played very well. Anthony Davis got hot, and we've seen him do that. But down the stretch, he wasn't dominant down the stretch. He he scored most of his points in the first half. Um, he was big in first quarter and third quarter. You're right. Yeah, I think he had like Which 26 is, points in both of those quarters. Right. So, and that's, that's, an, that's a very AD thing. Right. That's the usual. Yes, that's a very AD thing to do. And, but on the other side, 
you you had Paul George play very well, but oh, you also had the why were really good, David. Yes, they were really good. They just didn't have enough around them, right? You no have- Montrez Harrell, um, no Lou Landry Shamit was off. No Lou Will. Yeah, so they were missing a lot of key firepower. I thought. I think they're going to be fine, right? But I'm worried about them. They're they're not going to want to start this Orlando restart uh, schedule zero and two. So they're going to Pelicans are going to get their, a good shot from them. I mean, Kawhi played 33 minutes. Paul George 34. I'm not expecting them to basically get get it toned down by Doc. So, yeah, LeBron wasn't that good. I thought that was a very winnable game for the Clippers. But, again, they were missing too many guys. And Lakers, actually, I thought their bench actually did well. Kuzma came through for them. He made some shots. So did Waiters. You know, so go figure. Have some guys that lesser role players make a couple baskets for you, and that really helps when you've got two superstars. Yeah, and and – you know, you're still looking at the Clippers as trying to integrate. They took on so many new players towards the end, um, especially for their bench, which last year was their strength. And now you've taken away two of those, like you said, those key guys, three guys in Shamit and um, Lou Williams and in uh, Montrez Harrell. That that bench was the thing typically that would, would, would push the Clippers to that next level. Um, so, yeah, I think that the Pelicans – are still fortunate in not having to take on those two of those guys at the very yeah, least. Yeah, two of them, yeah. And, but for both teams, this is – I don't think it's a must-win for the Pelicans. You don't. They See, win. I do. Yeah, I do. I, I mean, must-win in the sense of if they lose it, they're not – I don't think they're done. I think mentally it's very important. Yes, absolutely. But in the scheme of things, like you said, you want to be within four and a half – you don't want to fall behind Portland, so that certainly changes things if Portland um, beats Memphis. And right now, there's, as of the recording of this, they're up 10 on Memphis uh, in the second quarter. So, yeah, you don't want to fall behind to Portland. But then again, we look at this. Let's, let's go into the, the Clippers, and then we'll talk about the schedule. Okay, so let's talk about the matchups. We're going to talk about Zion, too. Yes, okay, so let's, let's do that, yes. Zion Williamson, 15 minutes last night. 14 points, 13 points, excuse me, in 15 minutes. Um, and you, your article today um, really questioned the way he was used, not just the minutes, but the, the manner in which he was used. And you were on the uh, conference call today with David Griffin as he explained why Zion was used in such a way. Um, tell me what you took away from his usage and then David Griffin's explanation. And then let's talk about that strange disconnect there seems to be between Alvin Gentry and what's he, what he wants to do and what the team is asking him to do. Sure. Okay. So first, yeah. And watching the game, you saw Zion not even play three minutes in his first stretch upon tip off. That's a head scratcher to me. So he's playing less minutes than he did when he, came or made his debut against the Spurs to where he basically averaged about four minutes per stretch. I know, of course, his last burst was a little bit longer because he had that incredible 17 points he dropped on the Spurs, right? So in the three-plus minutes, to play only 15 minutes, three minutes less than when he did in his debut to where he's, you know, he looks physically better. On the first play of the game, I felt like he showed all that athleticism, that quickness on 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 a, you know, a better looking frame, right? He's more chiseled now. So you feel like there's less risk again to, to, to have him just play that amount of minutes is just shocking to me when you consider how much of a rhythm buster it is, you know, the Pelicans saw and Alvin Gentry saw just how much it affects your lineups and rotations. When suddenly you're trying to integrate a player 
but yet you can only throw him out there for a couple of breaths. And it doesn't work. It didn't work before. So I don't know why or haven't gotten an answer yet, but the front office decided to, you know, we're going to go this route no matter what. Now it's completely understandable when you look at it from the, the medical side of things, right? If, if that's what Aaron Nelson is telling you to do, and that's what David Griffin talked about today, that's why he came on to clarify that the only mistake the Pelicans made was in basically not explaining exactly what was going to be happening with Zion to where, you know, it allowed for all the comments to where all that heat fell on Alvin and having explained himself in post game. So Griffin came on, basically said, there's a clear performance plan that was in place through the medical staff for all the upcoming games in Orlando. Each player basically had to go through it to ramp it up. And they were able to accordingly in all the practices they had and the scrimmages. Zion, as we know, wasn't able to. He left the bubble on the 16th, so he missed a good deal of all that conditioning work and being able to pass all these tests uh, from the medical guys. So that's why he was severely restricted yesterday. Griff made it clear that had nothing to do with Zion's uniqueness, right? Every, like he said, every player had to meet certain quotas. And he pointed to the first scrimmage, right, the Pelicans played, right. to where no guy really played any kind of minutes um, outside, nothing more than 20 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. So Zion was held to basically in check in a similar manner. That's all that was. It was just the fact that it wasn't reported at the time, and so it allowed for all these conspiracies to throw up, right? And, of course, the bursts. They all happened at the beginning, of course, and there's a reason for that. The medical staff don't want him sitting for extended periods. They don't want him coming in after he's cooled down. So that's why you can't really just bring him in at the end of quarters. It just all has to do with routine, right? Preserving the muscles. They all have a certain activity levels. You go through warmest, you get in the game, you rest for a certain period, and you get back in. That's kind of how they like, they like to do it. And it's hard to fault them, right, David? That game plan worked for them when you look at just Zion's health when he did come back and played those 19 games. So, really, why change it up from that vantage point? Problem is, though, it sounds like they're going to still keep him, right, on, on a certain pretty decent uh, restriction for tomorrow's game against the Clippers. You're hoping that by the time the Grizzlies game comes around that it'll be reduced significantly to where he can play more. And that's kind of what happened when he came back in the debut. So, he, I'm glad that the Pelicans came forward they showed transparency because in years past, as we know, under Dell Demps, any kind of controversy was never alleviated by the general manager, by whoever's running the front office. It was always the responsibility fell on the coach, which, of course, Alvin Gentry. So it was good from that vantage point. But my problem still is if – look, we've talked about it off the air in our DM chats – if you have a priority to win some of these games, these are meaningful games, but there should be a priority to win them, right? You want to give the guys that have made the trip, have worked their butts off, have sacrificed to go in the bubble, potentially from months away from their families, middle of a pandemic, while the social justice is prevalent in all our lives, to suddenly say, well, that's not really the priority. The whole priority is to integrate Zion, so we're probably gonna cost ourselves a game two or three, or potentially. I should say we've already seen that happen in game one, you know? Yeah. So it, that's my problem with all this could have been better. Maybe than who was really a game time decision. Do you hold him out in that first game, try and get a winnable game, which I thought Utah was much more winnable on paper than the Clippers game. Bring Zion back for the next game. 
I just feel like there had to have been a better solution, David, than the route they chose, which proved to be a failure the first time around when Zion was asked to play short first, right? Four to five minutes just doesn't work. It throws the team in the turmoil. And, yes, there were a lot of other things that contributed to yesterday's loss, but you've got to take some stuff away. And for me, the, one of the easier ones is, of course, the way Zion basically affected that game, to how his you know, very low usage really affected – the defense was horrible. They yes. weren't playing with pace anyways with him out there. And when, if he's not physically at 100% when he was such a game-dying decision, I would have honestly thought harder about holding him out. Or conversely, take it from this viewpoint. Last play of the game, Pelicans have a chance to win or tie. Why not bring him out there for a decoy? You can't tell me that what he goes out there for is suddenly going to affect him physically from a mental or from a physical health conditioning uh, vantage point to where it could affect his health. So I don't know. I just felt like there could have been some things that could have been done differently maybe should have been done differently. So here we are. Now it's kind of a topic. Again, Griff did really come out, tell us what's up. That was great. But again, I'm guessing we're going to, ex- we should expect the same thing to happen in the Clippers game, which kind of leaves me on edge. And most likely the game after. Yeah, there's a good chance he's not going to play 30 minutes against Memphis. What's strange too is that Zion had missed all three previous games against the Jazz. And, you know, the Pelicans were right in all those games. So you could have sat him if that's what the goal was, you know, to continue to give him time. And maybe they still would have been okay. Like, they have not struggled against the Jazz without him. And I'm not saying you don't want him on the floor, but if, like you said, if you're not going to really play him and allow him to get minutes and allow his teammates to get a rhythm with him, then – I think they could have been just as competitive in that game if he had not played. Here's my question, David. And Griff has always made the point that he's not going to be swayed by anybody, right? right. The decisions they make is for the 100% directed towards and thinking of players' health, whatever, and the well-being of the team. How much pressure do you think that they were, though, under the NBA, the league, you know, broadcasters, ESPN – for Zion to at least play, right? Opening game, once again, Zion is put in the limelight. You got to play him, right? So do you, do you think that played any part in, in maybe Griff's mind or the Pelicans' decision to play him? I think Even it did. Even though, of course, he said they don't, right? I absolutely think it did. Yeah. I absolutely think it did because the whole narrative has been, that, which I don't believe that, that this was set up so the Pelicans could be in it because you had a bunch of teams tied with the same record. That's why you, they ended up doing this. And it's also about the TV numbers. They had to get to the 70 game link. So you get, I mean, a 70 game mark. So you have to have more teams to do that. So that, that's what was annoying to me um, in that regard. But I think that, yeah, I think there was certainly pressure to have him on the floor, but they were going to overmanage it, and they wanted to see him. But it didn't help. It doesn't help because people, I think, got upset. They were still upset. Right. Brock, you have to think ESPN's still not happy he played 15 minutes. 15 is almost zero in their eyes, right? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. So I think a lot of people were like, where, where, as Pelicans fans were, then of course casual fans were just the same. I don't care about the Pelicans. I don't care about the Jazz. I care about Zion Williamson, and mm-hmm. he ain't there. I want to highlight. I want, I want to see something special. Right. And you got – He's got a million or plus Instagram followers. He's had them ever since leaving high school. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that that certainly played a role in it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, now you move on to this, this next game, and 
you know, we could break down every player from last night, and I think that would just be overkill. Um, yeah. I'm not going to go into and analyzing Lonzo or Drew or any of those things because it's just not worth it. it, it Lonzo it, it, had a bad game. Let's just get him out of the yeah. way. Cause Lonzo had fun. a bad game. Drew had an inconsistent game offensively, mm-hmm. played very solid defensively as he usually does. I thought he was good, David, almost through three quarters on both sides of the ball. In the fourth quarter, turnovers cropped yeah. up, right? He wasn't effective anymore offensively. He was tired. He played 30, what, 37 minutes. And he had a couple of he had a couple of really bad turnovers in the first half. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But it wasn't it was again, it wasn't a nightmare game. And, no, and it was a and, good game overall. And you know, Derek Favors played like crap. Um, yeah, that disappointed me probably more than almost anything outside of, you know, the Zion. But I don't what I don't like is the overreaction too on him. Do I believe that that if there were a better option, the Pelicans should go after it? Always. For any player. For any player, if there's a better option available that you can afford, do it. But I will not turn my back on the dude when the first two games against the Jazz, he averaged a double-double. He shot better than 70% from the floor. He blocked three and a half shots a game in those first two. Now, we could talk about his physical conditioning. I don't know where it is. We're not there. But everybody, to me, just seemed a little bit off at times. And for whatever reason – and I, I, there are any number of things you could insert into that as to why. Because we're not going to dissect LeBron James' 16 points on horrible shooting and say, oh, well, LeBron didn't come in focus. LeBron wasn't this. LeBron wasn't that. But we're going to do that to these guys who right. are all under the same conditions. Yeah. So I, I don't want to overanalyze one game after four months off. No, and I don't want to hear people pointing at Derek Favors going one of three scoring two points. They don't talk about – actually, I saw positives by him yesterday to where he was making rotations. To where late in the game, he came over to help. I forget who was guarding Mike Conley, but Mike Conley got free, was running up the left side of the paint, looking like he was going to get an open four or five-footer for off the glass, but Derek got a hand up, and it forced the miss. Problem was, like it was all night, there was no good team rebounding, right? The Jazz completely dominated the glass, and it killed the Pelicans. The second and third possessions by the Jazz – so it, that, that thought was an all-fall on Derek Favors, guys. I'm sorry. I know he only had eight rebounds, and he's, his mobility did not look good. But where were the rest of the guys, right? They've been a great team rebounding uh, team in games that they've won, where Josh Hart gets almost double figures. He only had three rebounds. You know, Melly had zero. Zion had zero. How does Zion – I know he played 15 minutes. How does he only get zero? First time it's happened, I think, this year, where he didn't register a rebound. So I have a problem with that. Really, the only person I saw doing well on the glass was B.I. You know, Lonzo had his moments. Drew had a few moments. So, Derek, but there was nobody else that stood out for me, and that's a problem against a team like the Jazz where every possession matters to where you know they're going to crash the glass. They've got Gobert. They've got guys with size that are going to get in there. So, I think that's going to be not as big of a problem, right, against the Clippers. They don't have bigs that they go to, especially if Harrell's not going to be out there. So, the main thing there is going to be to slow down you know, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, of course, at least try and limit at least one of the two. Okay, the, the Pelicans played three games against the Clippers during the regular season. Um, the only players who appeared in all three, J.J. Redick, Etwan Moore, Frank Jackson, Jackson Hayes, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and Nico Melli. So, but you've got, you've got great performances out of J.J. and Nico pretty much in those situations. Uh, between them, I mean, J.J. and Etwan, they gave you 30 points a game 
Hey, but what about that win, right? Right. Derek were spectacular, right? Wasn't it a 2020 game for Derek and Drew had like 30 plus points? Yes. I mean, you know, in two games against the Clippers, Drew averaged 27 points. He shot 63% from three, which for Drew this season was (laughs) exceptional because he had a really tough year shooting a three for the most part. He started finding it towards the end, but yeah, for the most part, I agree. He he rebounded it well. He stole – he had three steals a game in those games. Derek Favors, like you said, averaged in those two games 21 points on 82% shooting. 15 and a half boards and uh, still half a block. See, again, I try to tell people Derek Favors is not a shot blocker. He's a rim protector. Those are two different mm-hmm. things. But he had, a, he had great games against them. Brandon Ingram struggled, shot 40% in his two games against the Clippers. Um, but that's against Kawhi Leonard. You know what I mean? Like that's – you're going up against – uh, or Paul George, two of the better, best wing defenders you have in this league. Lonzo had okay games, but I think, again, you know, I think Lonzo is going to bounce back from game one. I think he'll be better. Uh, But we also saw, like you said, the interior, the Pelicans have a great opportunity on the interior. Jaleel Okafor, in his one appearance against the Clippers, had a double-figure game, 10 points and six boards. In his three games, Jackson Hayes averaged 10 points and four boards. So you have to like the fact that the Pelicans can go inside and you add Zion Williamson to this mix who did not play in any of the games against the Clippers again. So this would be a new thing for him. Um, yeah. The inside is where they need to go and try to attack the Clippers. That's where I complained last night the most when they were struggling offensively in last night's game against the jazz, they stopped going inside the paint. David, the, the jazz, I, I want I forget what I wrote in the recap, but it was something like the points in the paint, in the second half, the difference Disparity was about 34 to 18, 16, something along those lines. And the Pellas just basically didn't go in there, and they especially didn't try and get to the free throw line enough to where, you know, you saw some of that in Ingram, and it's capable, but that's where they got to do it in clutch time. But that's for another discussion. For sure, they've got to do attack where they get the, have the most success. And, of course, that comes in the paint, especially when Zion's in games. You know, there's nobody better in a league at converting inside that painted area for easy buckets. Zion's, Zion's been incredible this year, better than what Giannis does, right? So you hope they go to that explicitly. But as you mentioned, there's other Pels that can get the job done there. And, and you've got to be able to basically stretch the floor, give your three-pointer or three-point shooter some space by going through the rim, by attacking it. And they just didn't do that nearly enough, I felt like, especially in that second half. So I don't know how you really do it. I mean, do you go and play a slower style game, as you mentioned with Okafor? I personally think you, you should try and push the pace a little bit more. No, they, they, but I yeah. mean, they still Looking averaged off, 124. Like they averaged 124 against the Clippers in those games. Wow, so they so were able to score inside and still keep pace. So that's the thing. is like they can do that. And part of that, too, is that the Pelicans shot the ball exceptionally well from three against the Clippers. Shot 40%. They shot 40%, and I think that came from working inside out and making the Clippers send their forwards and guards to, to help on bigs and being able to get outside shots to J.J., who is extremely effective, to Drew, who we already talked about is extremely effective from three, and for Etuan, who is extremely effective for three against the Clippers. So I think if you pass it inside, you make those Clippers rotate because they will not have, like you said, Montrez Harrell back there. Zubac is not a great interior defender. He's a, he's okay, but he's not a great interior defender. No. I think you just – the touch – got to get the group getting to the rim, right? Something you didn't see last night. Same with B.I. 
Yeah, and you can get the pick. You need to get the pick and roll with Jackson Hayes when he's in there, but mm-hmm. that requires yeah. Jackson yeah, to go hard. Mm-hmm. And he didn't really do that last night. He did not get those runs because he was not sealing. Uh, and uh, you know, and that's Jackson to me. That's his biggest problem is that his. We've talked about this before. I think he's still very immature. And last night, some of that showed up at certain times. When it's going to, I mean, I. I I applaud Alvin for trying to go a different route than Derek because, let's face it, Derek was much more ineffective than he usually is when he's not shown the mobility that we want to see. Mm-hmm. I'm just a little shocked, as you mentioned, why Hayes got 20 points or 20 minutes and Okafor got zero. Or go a different route, which I advocated, go more to Melly, go small, go fast. So, yeah, I hope they change it up somehow because yesterday's formula was definitely not a winning one. No. No, uh, I, but uh, how do you feel about this matchup? Do you think that the uh, – like I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Kawhi, there's something inherent in Kawhi's genetic pool that we, you and I both know. This guy doesn't like to lose, let alone lose two or three games in a row, right? It's that Michael Jordan-esque thing. I think even Paul George probably to an extent doesn't like to lose either. So those two guys, you know, they're going to be a handful. I mean, who's going to slow them down <laughs> when it's been a problem for the Pels all year, stopping those bigger wings, right? And now right. you've got two of them. So, yeah, Drew, if he's fortunate enough, can hold Paul George enough. Then who's got Kawhi? You know, so, yeah, I, I fear tomorrow's matchup without a doubt. Especially, David, if we're focusing on two guys, think of all the open shots that, sh- you know, Landry Shamit, uh, Reggie Jackson, and other guys, the three-point shooters are going to get for their team, you know? And if they're hitting, how do the Pelicans beat that? Right. Defensively, they have to eliminate uh, – I mean, the, the whole key for the Pelicans is protecting the paint. They cannot allow the Clippers to score on the interior. You're going to have to force – you want Kawhi to become a jump shooter. You want Paul George to not be – Yeah, don't to put have, him on the free throw line. No, no. And you don't want Paul George getting clean looks. You want – and we've mm-hmm. seen – we've seen Drew just focus on Paul George and eat him up. We've mm-hmm. seen that. So I think that I would like to see Alvin just say, Drew, stay with Paul George all night. Mm-hmm. Because Paul George has been the one who's killed the Pelicans um, in, in those games. No, I'm with you. I mean, and like I said, Drew has had success against Paul George. So I feel like he knows his game enough. There's something there because Drew really is a student of the game of these great offensive players in the league. And he definitely has more success against some of these elite guys than others. Right, and Paul George is fortunately one of the guys he has had success. As for with Kawhi, I can't recall him ever really stopping him consistently. So, uh, without a doubt, don't waste Drew on Kawhi. Live with that. Figure out something else. Have Derek shade him, you know, quite a bit because they're not going to go. The Clippers aren't going to go to Zubac enough around the rim or anybody else that plays behind them. So Derek can cheat a little bit. The problem, of course, will be whoever it, it will be in the game when Derek isn't. Can they, of course, then carry over that game plan, right? Right. You know, it's a big ask. Bazdilic's not in the bubble. I feel like that's a problem that maybe we need to talk about. But, yeah, I, like I said, I, this matchup scares me. That's why I won to get the game against the Jazz. That's why I would have sat probably Zion. Having – Hindsight's 20-20. Not having Bazdilic there to crack the whip, how much does that impact the, the defense? I think it affects a lot because we know they do a lot of game planning from game to game to where they do and shoot arounds, walkthroughs. They go through what's going to be happening in the game, the major actions. And Jeff is delicate. He's a pro. Suddenly Fred Vincent's now been tasked 
with that job. And while no, there's no doubt in my mind, he knows the game. We he love Fred. I just don't know if he knows enough of the minute details to push guys to where they should be standing. Right. That's what we've seen Bezdilic do before. He puts guys where they need to be and he'll yell at them until they get it right. I don't know how Fred does that. Right. I think that's very important for a team like the Pelicans that are so young. Yeah. Cause now you don't really have the balance on the coaching staff and style now. No, because Alvin no. is not really a confrontational guy. We know Freddie's not really a confrontational guy. The players have even said it's very two very different styles. Um, you know, Chris Finch is not really a confrontational guy, and then the problem isn't on offense anyway. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that not having somebody – and we've talked about this as players too – you have to have a couple of assholes. And for the players, mm-hmm. the number one one is J.J. Redick, and he has, he's an unapologetic asshole on the floor. I love JJ off the floor as a person, but on the floor, he's an unapologetic asshole to both his teammates at times and to the other, other team because he, there's shit that he won't tolerate. You have to have that on the coaching staff too. And I don't know. Yeah. In, in a game like that, where the defense was the problem and no one. They, don't have this, they also don't have Jamel McMillan, who we right. know is very vocal, who really understands the game amazingly well. And he's able to point things out to the players as the game's going along. Suddenly he's not there either. Yeah, that we, we, we're probably going to go back after these eight games are over and talk when we should talk about the lack of these guys not being on Alvin's bench there in the bubble. Yeah, that's because the, they won't say anything about it during the game. So if we ask them what will be, it's just like these are the guys we have. No, no it's we're not the right concert. time to no. ask, I think, that. No. right? Nothing can be done about it. No, yeah. Yeah, it's not going to change. Uh, the games on Friday night of interest to the Pelicans and, of course, we're, um, in the afternoon, Memphis and Portland – um, and then Friday night, you've got Sacramento and San Antonio. That If Sacramento beats San Antonio, I, I, I'd, I'd count San Antonio out completely. I've already put them at 90%. Now I'm really worried. Say the Trailblazers win today and the Kings, boy, man, the Pelicans road. I know it's just one game, but suddenly you're like, oh, man, how do we, how do we get ahead of these two teams, right? right. Like one of these teams have to, you know, basically succumb to whatever happens in these eight games, but do a Pelicans a favor. Right. That's the way, only way I think they're going to get in the playing tournament. Right. Because there's not a lot to help them coming up in the first few days. Houston and Dallas has no impact on them. And then you go to Saturday, Utah, Oklahoma City doesn't help them. They play the Clippers that day. The Lakers are playing Toronto. Doesn't help them. Sunday, Portland and Boston. Okay. Now you're looking at something. You need Boston to beat Portland. Mm-hmm. Then, but then you have San Antonio and Memphis. I want Memphis to win every game that they have the rest of the way. I'm with you. They don't because I don't care if they stay in eight because you got to play them anyway. You know, I mean, I don't want them to beat the Pelicans, but I don't want Memphis to fall out of that spot because if they're if they're still in that spot, that means they're beating people you're competing against. Exactly right. So we, you need Memphis to beat San Antonio. You need Orlando, which squeaked by Brooklyn. They were up by 30 on Brooklyn, ended up winning by 10 today. Um, You need Orlando to beat Sacramento. And then you need Dallas to beat Phoenix on Sunday before you have Monday's game where they take – they host Memphis. You've got San – That's going to be everything. Pelicans have to win. I mean, they had to win before, but, man, now must win. And the only other game that day that you're looking at on Monday is San Antonio at Philly. So, over the first – four nights of the season of this restart, there's not a lot of opportunities for the Pelicans to get help. So they really do. This is the, the first three games are the hardest part of the schedule. 
they've got to, I agree with you, winning two would be very, 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 would go a long way to securing, um, to getting to that ninth spot. Because they've got but to win five at least. Do or die, David. Then, then you're really do or die where you have to win out, right? And you just know about, how hard yeah. that is to do. Yeah, just about. Because, I mean, the over-under on the Pels is four and a half by Vegas. Um, I thought, we and you and I talked about this, we said they needed to go at least five and three, but at, and we said probably six and two. Mm-hmm. To, to, to make it to that nine, eight, nine game uh, matchup. It's still yeah, one of Portland, Sacramento, San Antonio are going to play well. You just have to kind of just, just paint that scenario in your head, right? Where they're going to go five and three or six and two. So the Pelicans have to at least match that. Or really, do one better if it's Portland. Because really, we're not looking at teams being able to start falling off until you get to the 5th of August. And that's when you ha- you'll start maybe potentially seeing some of these teams start to f- not be able to close that gap. But that's a ways away. You know, you're talking about you're, you, teams are going to have four games in. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, you know, the Pelicans go all the way up to August 6th when they take on the Sacramento Kings. That, I mean, those games, to me, yeah, the Pelicans have to – it's got to start now. It has to start now because they, there will inevitably be a slip-up in one of these games that we think that they should win. Do you think there could be another clutch time loss on the horizon? <laughs> this, this, oh, man, David, they got to learn how to win. You know, that, that's all it comes down to. they got to learn how to close out a game. Yeah, and they have to grow up. That's basically what it is. They have to grow up as a group. But that's uh, the thing with the young team. So, yeah, we're, I want listeners to understand we're not upset. Like, we're <laughs> not going to lose sleep overnight. But <laughs> it is a gripe that's legitimate. That has to happen. This team, to take that next step, they've got to be transformative in the way they play the last five minutes of games. And my thing is, again, if we had played all 82, we, we certainly would have felt like – you know, with 20-plus games to go, you would have felt like, yeah, the Pelicans could have caught up. But now it's yeah. eight. Everybody was healthy. Other teams were struggling. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And the schedule gave you more room mm-hmm. for margin for error. So that's wow. why when people talk about, well, the Pelicans got this easy setup. It's still yeah, only they eight had more cupcakes. They had more cupcakes. Yeah. It's eight games. There's no, there's no right. way right. that you more can act like eight-game stretches. Oh, no. No. And that, that's the part that I think that people uh, are need to focus on, too, is that this sample size is a ridiculous attempt for us, after it's over even, to take something to draw into next year. It's, it's so difficult. Uh, for a lot of things, but there are some things I think you do need to take away. For me, I'll, I'll be honest with you, the big one's Derek Favors, his health. I yes. thought David was going to look better last night. Four months off, he talked about how he rested initially. Mm-hmm. When, when the coronavirus shut the league down mm-hmm. and he started ramping activity up, I was hoping he would have looked fresher in some way, but he did not. No, he did know? not. And then, of course, there's a few other things, but that, that, like I said, we can maybe talk, say that for another time. We've been talking for, what, an hour and a half now? <laughs> so I don't know how you want to handle this. It's just over an hour. We've been good. but Okay. Yeah, yes, right. but you're right. And, and that's something for another time too, though, because we, we have not gotten to the point where we can really understand or discuss yeah. options. So it would just be facetious at this point to say, yeah, well, get rid of favors. Yeah. 
oh, let's get rid of Fabian. Well, for what? We don't know yet. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people were on the timeline, and, and that's just not the right take either. No, it's way too early. It's still too early to make that call because we don't know everything around it. There's still so much to be settled for the league and how free agency and all these things are going to end. We don't know the cap for next year. We don't know anything yet. It's, it's don't make any decisions today. And you see it from everything from trade Drew right now, trade, get rid of favors right now. You can't Fire have these guys. Entry. <laughs> let's let's all woosah, take a breath, and, and just get ready for tomorrow. And again, my thought, and I believe this is your thought too, enjoy this. You could have not had it at all. Enjoy it more. Stress about it less. Well said. I got nothing further to add. I'm going to enjoy this game, the Memphis game, and then we're going to reevaluate. Right. Whether they win the next two or, or win one and just look at how the other guys are – or how the other teams are doing. Because that's what really matters. You have to it, – it, it's going to be uh, um, like a moving goalpost situation here, right, David? You have to evaluate what the other teams are doing because of that limited eight-game schedule. Yep. And so that's it. That I think we'll leave it right there. We'll definitely get more into this either here or on thebirdrights.com. Um, do I have the Do I have the game store for tomorrow? Can I? Do I have the game store? Um. Yeah. You, you want it? Yeah. Because I got the game Wilson's store. got the preview. Yeah. So I'll take the game store for tomorrow night. So there you go. I'm going to do the game story for tomorrow night's game. For Bring us some luck, D. I had a terrible record right in regular season. Recaps, oh, I think I had like a – I was like 6-22. and 22. <laughs> <laughs> so, You don't want me writing a recap. So I'll go ahead and do that so you can check that out. Um, also check out the Bird Calls podcast. We did uh, one yesterday, and we'll certainly be doing one tomorrow, I would imagine, after the game. Um, and I did a great Manscaped ad. I'm very proud of my work. Uh, so go check that out. <laughs> Ollie, check it out, guys. Yeah. If you've heard questions before, you got to check out David. So, Ali, um, they know how to follow you, but tell them again how they can follow you. And, uh, of course, we will be talking soon. Yeah, it's just my name, guys. Full name on Twitter, Ali Cosell. But we're a good tight group over at The Bird Rides. So, if you just follow the site, uh, The Bird Rides, both our articles and podcasts at SB Nation, or on Twitter, and we're on Facebook too, you, you'll, you'll see all of our work. Yep. And I will tell you this again, and I say this with all um, honesty and lack of bias, that I think the great thing about the bird rights, more than any of the other local um, sites or groups that cover the Pelicans, you get more um, diversity of voices, opinions. And I'm not talking about skin color. I'm not talking about ethnicity, even though we are a very diverse group there as well. But there's something for every type of fan on our, our site and with our writers and our group. And it's a group that genuinely enjoys to work with each other. And we, we speak so frequently to each other, either offline or online, um, that I think that I, I just, I'm proud of what we do day in and day out. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, that, that's why I, I brought on the guys that I brought on board, right? We all love basketball. We all talk basketball well uh, or right. So, yeah, I love the group, man. We're very close. Surprising because we live, you know, everybody lives pretty much in different cities for the most part, right? Yeah. I mean, you're even in Baton Rouge, so I barely ever get the chance to see unless it's game time. So, yeah, but we're all good and we all like each other. So I think that's important, right? Yeah, because, I mean, we can argue over things and then we go, okay, 
Write it down. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, write that piece. If you're that pissed about it, write it. And so uh, stuff goes on like that. And I think that, you know, there's something, again, there's something there for everyone. Whatever angle you're looking for. And I think we're all very accessible, too. So if you hit us on Twitter or you DM or whatever, we, we talk back. We're, we're there to do that. And I don't think any of us think our opinions are sacrosanct. Um, there's no real giant pride um, in us as far as, like, being wrong. We're prideful about what we do. But I don't care if I'm, I mean, I'll be wrong. I'm going to be wrong. And I'm not going to run for wrong either. When I mess up, I mess up. So what? Big deal. It's just basketball. Right. It's opinions, guys. Exactly. For the most part. I hate when people start going off too much and thinking they're basically speaking factually or they only have the correct take. Right. And that's where the arguments ensue. Not all about that. Just not all about that anymore. No way. Enjoy the games. Y'all have a great weekend. Uh, for Hard in the Paint, for my man, Ali Cosell, I am David Grubb. Check me out on Twitter, at DM Grubb. Also visit my website, hrtpwithdg.com. And I'm telling you, the swag is taking over, man. People are loving the um, Voodoo Pelican mashup. It's so good looking stuff. I'm, I know which shirt, shirt I'm getting. I wasn't able to. I've had too many things going on. I was out of town. But, yeah, I've got my eye on one. I'm going to get it soon. Yeah, and okay. Yeah, after offline, I'm going to send you something too. All right, so we will check y'all out next week. Thank you for listening. Y'all have been just a fantastic audience over the last three weeks, and we're going to keep it rolling next week. This is Hard to Paint with David Grubb. Ooh.